The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have your company. We'll get to Prue McSween. We'll also get to Shane Healy and discuss more of what's happening in Gaza. But in particular, new data that has been released in Australia today about the prevalence of suicide among former ADF members. Fascinating, just fascinating. And it's hard to believe that they're true, the the statistics, that is. It's hard to believe that they're true. I'll get to your calls in just a second. You can dial in from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. You can give us a call from the UK early in the morning, 033-0024-1026, or from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. This is interesting. It's an Italian research document which has been published today by Alex Berenson on Substack. People who received at least one COVID jab were about 30% more likely to be infected, what do you think, with SARS-CoV-2 than the unvaccinated. That's according to Italian researchers. The Italian study is the most comprehensive yet to show COVID shots raise the risk of infection. After the Omicron variant appeared, the shots performed even worse with the jabbed at about 50% higher risk. So much for this business, oh, we can't pass it on. You're less likely to get it. You certainly won't get seriously ill. Well, if you're getting it more often, you've got a greater chance of being seriously ill. The peer-reviewed study also contained a surprising and frightening finding for people who have taken three or more Moderna mRNA jabs. Moderna-only recipients were 71% more likely to die from all causes than people who took only Pfizer jabs a significant difference even after the researchers adjusted for age and medical problems. This is just another study. You've got to treat it as only one study and not a pattern in many studies, but doesn't it tell you what many have alleged all along, that there were certain problems associated with the jabs that we were told we had to get or you can't go to work, more problems than what they were being transparent about. Let's get to our talkback lines. Siv has returned to the fold. Hello, Siv. G'day there, Chris. How are you going? I'm very, very well. We've missed you. <laughs> I'm sure you have, yes. Yeah, there, there were text messages flying around and they were, they were sending a certain <laughs> party, out, party out to find me. Um, look, um, a couple of, look, just that COVID thing. It's interesting. I hope the, and, and I do praise the UK, they're having a, what we would refer to as a fair nickel. COVID inquiry going on over yeah. there. I mean, I hope that I hope that they deal with some of that contradictory information we were getting. Yeah, oh, you know, if you if you take the vaccine, you're not going to pass on. You can get it. That you know, if you get the virus, you know, you'll you'll have these antibodies, you know, and you'll be you you'll you'll actually be able to fight it because the immune system will recognise it the next time you get them. So which one is it? Yeah, which vaccine, one is it? <laughs> we, which one is it? So we take the vaccine, we don't get it, or we're less likely to pass it on. Well, we do get it, and we have these antibodies, and uh, you know these magic antibodies will make it less likely that we'll get it because our immune systems will recognise what's going on. You see what I'm saying there? You see? Yeah, what I'm they going can't have that? it both ways. <laughs> no. I feel as though that's what's been going on, but that's just me, and I'm probably going to be labelled an anti-vaxxer for saying that, but I'm not. I'm just putting out the the whole thing. You know, I'm just saying, look, you know, you can't have it both way, guys. Um, well, for every other uh, member of the audience that's listening from outside of Australia, we should tell them that we have been told today in news on the hour throughout the country that we've yeah. got another two new vaccines that have been approved and we're just about, oh, yeah. no doubt, to cop a commercial or a community service advertising onslaught about taking them. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. They'll be just as bad as those gambling ads. Gamble responsibly. Yeah, good, right. Thanks very much. Yeah. I appreciate I wonder that. how many people uh, will take them because the because the boosters in the United States, I think they've only got up to 3.1% of the population. I think that's right. Well, I, I think that because we've now kind of gone away from government mandates, you know, people will make their own choices. So some will because they'll be exceedingly cautious and they're the same people who probably wear masks when they're out because I know there's a 
a wave going on, but a lot won't. A lot will simply go, oh, good, I've had enough of that. I've done three or four doses of this stuff. I'm I'm over the COVID thing. Can we not talk about it? We've been obsessing over it for three years. That, I think, will be the vast majority of people, I reckon. Agree. That's that's why I see it. Now, look, just a quick word, if I can, on the um, Just Stop Oil people. Look, I agree with your comments in the last hour. I mean, the more shoutier these people are, the less anyone's going to listen to their argument. But why would you listen to their argument when you've got... I mean, I just heard a news report today saying... Oh, yes, the, you know, the global warming scientists and all the rest of us have been telling us for decades, you know, we'll be getting through, we're getting up to that two degree uh, warming period or whatever it is, the two degree uh, whatever it is, I forget the exact, exact phrasing. Well, we're there now. Oh, great. Well, that that's that's fantastic. I'm wearing my shorts as we speak. No, in fact, I'm actually taking my clothes right off because it's really hot. That's what they're supposed to tell us. Just an extra two degrees in the world. We're all going to notice that. But the thing that annoys me about the Just Up, Stop Oil people, they are absolute Puritans, and I hate Puritans. You can't yeah. be puritanical. You know, yes, have all the green technologies, do all of that stuff, but we can't survive on that alone. We just might need some of that really evil stuff called coal and fuel. But you don't want to hear that, you guys. But they're just, absolutists, Steve, aren't they? They are absolutists, they are. these greenies. They are. They are. They, they are absolutists. But And the thing with absolutists is even a logical argument, like I put forward, saying that, well, yes, do all these wonderful new things, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, they don't want to hear that because their agenda is the one that we should all be following. But I, I won't because, like I said to you before, I don't want to go back into the cave. I don't want to rub a couple of sticks to create a fire. In fact... I'm going to be turning on my air conditioning now to celebrate fossil fuel. Good to talk to you, Chris. <laughs> Good. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. Turn it on with pride, carbon pride. Look, at the end of the day, it's like that fellow said that interrupted the protest, the audio that I played at the start of the, the program. Don't you know what oil is required uh, to make devices, technology, what you wear, he said. Don't you know that? Don't you know what you're doing every time you stop the traffic? You're contributing more CO2 if that's your boogeyman? Like, it's just ridiculous. They make no sense. They take, you know, they're quite happy to disrupt the lives of ordinary people. But at the same time, these ordinary people are starting to think very seriously about whether they're nutters or not. And they think seriously that their argument doesn't make any sense. And greenies are so absolutists. Only greenies could say, let's get rid of coal, but let's get rid of gas at the same time, which, you know, emits a lot less CO2. But no, 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 we can't have a transition. We're absolutists. So anything that emits CO2 has to go. There's no compromise. There's no negotiated transition, and this is their great problem. We keep going down this track, and we pray that renewables will take over baseload power. They will not. They cannot. And yet we get rid of gas in the process. That is dumb. That is what absolutism does to your country. Um, Quick one from Tony. Tony says, about boosters, by the way, he says, no effing way. I regret taking three shots and will not take another. I think most of the population um, believes that. Got to take a break. I'll be back with Prue McSween right after that on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. I'm a native New Yorker. I've lived here most of my life. I love the energy. I love all the cultural opportunities. I love just the street scene, but not anymore. New York, to use Donald Trump's famous phrase, is now a shithole. Warren Wilhelm, Bill de Blasio, and Eric Adams destroying the legacy in in just a few short years of Rudy Giuliani and Bloomberg. We had low crime, we had booming tourism, we had booming business. Even with the 9-11 terrorist attacks, business in New York, it rebounded, it was booming. We've got beautiful, gleaming new apartment buildings. It breaks my heart to see what has been done to my native state, whose motto, Excelsior, means ever upward. But these last 20 years, unfortunately, they've been ever downward, again, not by accident, all by design. And what's the root of the problem? The root of the problem is our crooked elections. The Timothy Shea Show on today's News Talk Radio, 
TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Thank you, Chris, for contributing to our chat box conversation on TNTradio.live. He says, Just Stop Oil is funded by George Soros' NGOs. That's why they don't care about the fines. They have a different agenda, which is to promote Marxism and transfer wealth from the middle classes to the elites, therefore eliminating the middle class. Next step towards the Great Reset and owning nothing and being happy. You'd will eat the bugs. I'm with you. I can hear it now, Chris. Thank you very much for that. I've got a former television news reporter with us right now. She's also been a commercial talkback radio host at two major stations, the co-host of Beauty and the Beast, a contestant in Celebrity Apprentice to boot and founder and director at Verve Communications. What a life, what experience. Prue McSween, welcome. Hi, Smithy. Nice to see you. You're looking spiffy. Yeah, you're looking very well, very good too. I should say to people who haven't made the change to follow our video streaming, which they can see on YouTube under tntradio.live, uh, under Rumble or through X, etc., that this is now, I guess, TNT Radio TV <laughs> in many ways, visual as well, and uh, an exciting development. Can't sit here in my bra and undies now. I have to get dressed. <laughs> no way. Oh uh, yes, unless we have an R-rated or an X-rated yeah, version. Well, later I'll night. be up for that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's begin in the White House. And as he turns eighty-one this week, President Joe Biden is slipping and in trouble, according to the latest NBC News poll. It is the worst number he's recorded since he began his presidency. It doesn't surprise me. You. Not at all. I mean, it's just interesting to me, though, that he's really slipped with the, you know, the younger crowd, the 18 to 24 year olds who are going for Trump, which is fascinating. And yes. then the black vote as well. So, you know, a lot of the black uh, vote is saying that he hasn't delivered on his promises. So the guy is really doing it, you know, badly in the polls. And people are now starting to think, well, maybe it's not just the fact that he's cognitively impaired uh that you know he's just lost his shine across so many areas you know whether it's policy whether it's credibility whether it's the fact that people are now waking up that he's manipulating and pushing the legal system that his son's poison um, and so all those things i think when you consider also that what's he going to be 86 or something if he did get that second yeah. uh, term which is just not too bad when you consider there are a lot of older leaders i'm not ageist but in this case the guy has demonstrated he's losing Losing it. Yeah. So, you know, just imagine him in another few years' time no. that he's the guy, the leader of the uh, free will. But it will be interesting to see if the Democrats actually decide that they're going to try and save themselves and make a move on him and push the panic button because, and it was interesting also that Biden actually during that San Francisco APEC uh, gave Gavin Newsom a big sort of yes. So maybe he's reading the writing on the wall. Yeah, I think Newsom is the next called up, and I have a feeling once I see articles in the New York Times that concentrate on his age and how the murmurs have got very loud behind the scenes about whether he can be trusted to be taken into another term, you know that the drums are beating. That's when the drums are it's beating. Though so in that poll, Robert F. Kennedy got 21%. So he's making his mark, which is another interesting aspect to it. Yeah, he sure is. Mm. Uh, in Australia, the latest Roy Morgan poll has another left-leaning government crashing, and this is the third consecutive downward trend. Meanwhile, Albanese's courage is under fire because it appears he did not protest directly to Xi Jinping at APEC, uh, at APEC over the way a Chinese Navy ship treated our divers. He said to Sky News that we did it through the right channels. Well, you know what? Um, the way those divers were 
injured, the right channel was face-to-face with Xi Jinping. 100%. I mean, look, they've cast him as the boy doing the man's job, China I'm talking about, and that's what he is. You know, the guy's character is in question now. Has he got the ticker? Could he possibly shirt front anybody who was as aggressive, any other uh, nation that was as aggressive as China? They think they've got him exactly where they want him, and they probably have, to be frank. Mm. You know, he's. I think he's overawed by the whole thing. When you look at the fact that this guy from the public housing of Australia, has suddenly got hit the big time, he's Prime Minister. What a great thing for a country to be able to produce that. But I don't believe he's got, he's been, I think he's been seduced by the jet set life, the people, the politics, uh, the, the, the stars that he meets. He's been out of the country. He's been out of the country 18 times in the 18 months he's been in power. And during that time, I think he's lost total touch with reality. Yeah. And, and he can say, that he understands the pain we're going through. He hasn't got a bloody clue. And, you know, when you've got a nation like China, which is a real aggressor, and then showing so much contempt where they're lecturing us and saying, you know, that uh, we suggest we stop making reckless and irresponsible accusations against it. For God's sake, these guys, it was an act of war, let's face it. It could have been interpreted that way. And China has been aggressive all the way through. I know that Washington, UK are worried about what Albanese, Albanese has not done, and that is to stand up and make a proper complaint. So I think the guy's character is under question. I don't think he's got the capability or ticker to survive, and I think he's a dead man walking. And already you see a lot of the ministers like Miles, Chalmers, uh, Burke, they're all getting ready. You can see Chalmers is now abstemious from the grog. Uh, he's done big sort of motherhood interviews. Burke is playing to his constituents of the, you know, the Muslim population. Wong's having an each way bet on Palestine. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got, who was the other one? But, um, well, Miles, of course, is trying to be the, you know, the, the pseudo, the second in line PM, but you know, he did show a little bit of uh nous when he agreed that with Dutton about what was going on with the detainees yeah, and the fact true. that they needed to but you know, I just think this Labour Party could be a one-hit wonder, and I hope so. They've done so much damage. They're actually proving that they haven't got the economic uh, uh prowess. And I believe that they're leading this country down the toilet. And their green evangelism seems to be falling over, left, right and centre. Australia's facing an electric vehicle disaster with just 29% of new cars being EVs by 2030. Of course, their target was 89%, 29 versus 89. Meanwhile, ASIC is trying to stem the activity of green rorts. Um, it's got a little bit of deja vu, that, to pink bats and school halls. Uh, this mob couldn't create or run a decent chook raffle. No, they couldn't. And when you've got anything that Chris Bowen touches, when you think back to when he was treasurer, when he was in charge of the the boats, etc. I mean, the guy is in it. And he talks the talk. He's got this obsession with climate. He cannot deliver. There was never a business model. We all knew that there was no way they were going to meet those targets by 2030. And, you know, when you think of this whole, uh, you know, transition to, tra you know, renewables, it's just never going to happen. And, you know, they haven't got the nous to understand that and pull the plug and look at nuclear, for example. So, you know, we're we're heading for a high, hiding to nothing. We're going to be down the toilet economically. And, you know, who the hell's going to want to invest in this country? You know, businesses can't run when you've got a failing energy system and an expensive energy system. Yep. Now, Australia's premiers are demanding a direct say on immigration levels. This makes sense to me because the left left hand has never understood what the right hand is doing and vice versa. States need to build and supply infrastructure like schools and, and roads to cater for migrant numbers. They need to know how many are coming in and when. Although I noticed that the Australian newspaper columnist Greg Sheridan writes today, we need more babies, not migrants. Um, what is he? How does he? How is he arguing that? 
Well, he's saying that the birth rate, and it's true, it's really slipped. It's down to 1.63. That's the measure of the number of babies each woman can have. So, you know, they're going to get one and three-quarter kids or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but in 2018, it was 1.7. And when uh, Costello and Howard were in, remember, we had to have one for mum, one for dad, and one for the country. And That's the birth right. rate went up. Uh, and we need that. When you look at the pickle that China is in with their zero, you know, ch one child policy, yeah. and now they're in big trouble and we're heading that way. And what's happening is that the states, thankfully, they have stood up to them, which is amazing given they're all in the labour camp. But, you know, <laughs> They're the ones responsible for the infrastructure and they're just not getting the support because, you know, particularly Labor is chasing all these other feel-good things, the $450 million that was wasted on The Voice, all these other ridiculous sort of uh, policies that make everybody feel good but they're just not practical. When we're in this situation where we've got poor economics, we've got a shortfall of workers, we're not bringing in the right skilled workers, we've got more students than we can count, a lot of them can't even speak English. So we need to set a criteria and, you know, sadly we aren't testing it, we're just opening the doors and making life for the rest of us just impossible. You know, Sydney is unlivable, the other states are getting unlivable. Yeah. Now I'm interested to see what the Inner West Council is going to do tonight at their council meeting. Here is a council in Sydney, for those who don't know, who obviously have delusions of grandeur, think that they're federal MPs and not local councillors who should be worrying about, you know, roads, rates and rubbish. Um, they're going to pass a uh, resolution tonight to make sure that Benjamin Netanyahu hears the Inner West Council of Sydney and puts a pause on the bombardment of Gar the Gaza Strip, can they not just do the job they were voted in to do, Prue? It's a problem, Smithy. They can't because they've been ill infiltrated by activists. Yep. You know, this guy, this Dylan Griffith, is a Greens... Um, he's an academic, so that tells you a lot too, you know, let's face it. Yeah. He's a unionist. He he says in his um, CV that he joined the council because he, he's interested in cycling and pedestrian links, all those things that the, you know, the hairy armpit had said at sensible, <laughs> sensible Shoes voters like, you know, greening their streets, protecting green spaces, but he's not really interested in that. He wants to use this as a stepping stone to get into Politics. Of course. You know, the sad thing is that it's happening. They're all, this is their pathway, and they all join councils, and I believe councils need to be sacked. We don't need the bastards. They don't do their jobs anyway. Get rid of councils. That's a layer of, of uh, government governance we don't need. But, you know, I just think that this bloke is a moron and Honestly, they're not green. They're, you know, they're everything but green now. They're communists. That's what they are. And let's, you know, let's treat them for what they are. Let's hope that people start understanding. All these young altruistic kids who go and, um, you know, do their protests and wave banners and wouldn't have a bloody clue what was going on. They're the, you know, the ones they're pitching to and, so, you know, you've just got to vote at 16 or 18, whatever it is. And I just think God help us all. You know, it's just so sad that these these morons are getting a even a voice in these oh, councils. I agree completely. You're looking good in what is it? Aqua or blue or green? Yeah. Or what aqua? It's aqua. Aqua. Don't call me a teal for God's sake. <laughs> hey, I, I was thinking that when I first saw yeah, it. I'm gonna have to burn this shirt. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Prue. Great to have you, and thank you for changing days for us. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks, Smithy. All good the best, Prue, Prue McSween. Uh, the director and founder of Verve Communications. They're running through some of the big stories occurring and hitting the headlines in Australia. Must take a break. I'll be back with Topher Field right after this break for news on TNT Radio. Now, I've got, I've got good news and, and bad news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Beijing has cautioned Canberra against making reckless accusations against China after Australia accused a Chinese warship of injuring one of its Navy divers off the coast of Japan. 
Celebrations are continuing in Argentina, where libertarian economist Javier Millet was elected president on Sunday. And France claims to have conducted its first successful test firing of a long-range ballistic missile designed to be launched from nuclear submarines. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Oh, dinner's ready. Oh man, escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio. Live. Thank you, Tom. Tom, one of our listeners, has used the chat box on TNTradio.live to enable you to click on our video streaming links. He's done one for X, he's done one for Rumble, and he's done one for YouTube. So if you'd like to use all of that, you can go for your life. Thank you, Tom. And each and every day, there are more streaming services that will take our video streaming of tntradio.live. Now, Topher Field is one of Australia's leading and most recognised libertarian political commentators. He won the Australian Libertarian of the Year Award last year, uh, no doubt for his work exposing the Victorian government over lockdowns and vaccine mandates. He prides himself actually on the two criminal charges he was slapped with for encouraging people to exercise their human rights during the pandemic. He's an internationally acclaimed documentary maker, host of the Slow Chat podcast, and author of the book, Good People Break Bad Laws. He's coming to us today from the town of Albury. An author of the book, Good People Break Bad Laws. He's coming to us today from the town of Albury in southern New South Wales. Topher Field, welcome to TNT Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And may I say it is a good day to be a libertarian with the uh, the results in the Argentinian election there. And I've got a bit of breaking news for you if you'd like some. Please. Just literally about six hours ago, the Victorian government finally withdrew their criminal charges against me more than two years after they laid them. They've finally been withdrawn as of this morning. So what was it? An act of intimidation to keep you quiet? That's even worse. Well, look. I'm not uh, I'm not prone to conspiracy theory, but let me just put two pieces of information in front of you. The first is that I was arrested a week after announcing that I was going to make my documentary Battleground Melbourne attacking Daniel Andrews. And the charges have been withdrawn on the first court case or the first court date after Daniel Andrews stepped down. Now, I'm not saying that there was any sort of political interference in my court case at all. I'm just saying that seems like an awful coincidence. Awful coincidence. Yes. Let's go back, Mm -hmm. uh, may we, to Javier Millet, the very vocal Mm -hmm. libertarian. He won Argentina's, uh, Argentina's presidency on Sunday, for those who don't know. Um, crushing the political establishment. Um, It's the sharpest Mm. turn to the right in four decades for the country. Um, It's just one of about five examples, Topher, of conservatism or libertarianism being gifted to the seats of power in various countries. There's a little bit of a theme going on. What's happening globally? Look, I think people are increasingly beginning to recognise that the direction we've been going in was the wrong one. One of the things that struck me as I was involved with the protests in Melbourne, the anti-lockdown protests, was the number of Eastern European descendants that came out way in disproportionate numbers compared Uh, to their population numbers. And because they had that memory, either themselves personally or or very recently in their family, of what it's like to live under a, a dictatorship. And I think what's happening now is that gradually, you know, we've had it so lucky. People my age, born into Australia, we've had it the easiest of any generation in history. Never before anywhere on earth at any point in history has a generation had it as good as we've had it. We got lazy. But I think what's happened thanks to COVID is people around the world, but especially uh, in Australia, have been jarred out of that. And we're beginning to see the fruits of that in the ballot box. Even in Victoria, because um, I kind of get the feeling that uh, not only is it the Socialist Republic of Australia, but uh, Stockholm's syndrome has certainly alive and well because they keep voting for Labor again, even after these world record lockdowns. And even at the Mulgrave by-election on Saturday, the Labor candidate won again. 
Yep, you can try and uh, look at those numbers through whatever rose-coloured glasses you want. The bottom line is the seat ret- was retained by by Labor. Look, Melbourne is a bit of a special case. I know the city very well. I've lived there since I was two. I moved out only relatively recently. And what I'll say is Victoria now, and I was saying this before the most recent Victorian state election where Daniel Andrews won before stepping down, I said, if Daniel Andrews gets returned by the people of Victoria in this coming election, I'm calling it, Victoria is the California of Australia, by which I mean a one-party failed state, get out while you can. And so once uh, once Daniel Andrews was returned to power, I got my family out. Simple as that. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, you're not the only one. The statistics are quite yeah. overwhelmingly uh underlying exactly what you're saying for those who don't know and the same thing's happening in california people are getting out and one of the reasons they're getting out is because they were treated so appallingly during the pandemic right yeah oh absolutely it's we had world record lockdowns nowhere else in the world went as crazy as we did and it was towards the end of the pandemic china managed to take the title back off us as most lockdown but for for a number of years there we were the most locked down for those that don't know People were getting their doors kicked in at four o'clock in the morning, being violently arrested for the crime of encouraging people to engage in protest. I'm one of the people that was arrested and charged, uh, not violently, thankfully. My arrest was a bit of an exception to the rule, but a lot of them were very violent. We were shot at with rubber bullets in the streets. We were going toe-to-toe with the Victoria police. They had armoured vehicles. You know, well, all the equipment they said they needed to deal with terrorists, they rolled those out onto the streets to deal with protesters. And what we saw was some of the most flagrant human rights abuses that we've seen, uh, certainly in my lifetime in this country. I can't speak for what happened in this country 100 years ago, but certainly for within my lifetime, we saw some of the most uh, vile, violent and widespread human rights abuses. And it was all over Australia in varying degrees, but Melbourne was the absolute epicentre of it. With the world champion lockdown Nazi chairman Dan Andrews gone, is the totalitarian Mm. regime gone as well? Look, I I would love to say it is. Um, Tragically, no, because Daniel Andrews was an enabler of it, but ultimately he was surrounded by people that were gleefully contributing to it from health ministers and, and police ministers and everybody else. People keep saying to me, oh, how did Daniel Andrews get back in? The election must have been rigged. And I say, no, it's worse than that. The election wasn't rigged. That's the terrifying thing, <laughs> that we actually voted for him again. The problem, you know, the, the old saying, you get the government you deserve. I'm sorry to say, Victoria, you are getting the government you deserve. Now, Jacinta Allen uh, is a different person to Daniel Andrews, but I wouldn't put a lot of faith in that uh, that government being any less totalitarian. I got a whiff of deja vu today when I heard all the news bulletins tell me about two new vaccines that have been approved. Oh, joy. Uh, And we're going to have millions and millions of Australians infected by COVID by about Christmas. This seems so deja vu-like to me. Do you think that they would consider lockdowns and COVID work mandates again? Goodness, it's a great question. And the the honest answer is I don't know, because if you'd asked me, in fact, people did ask me, what's going to happen with this COVID thing? You know, late 2019, when we first started hearing about it early in 2020, I told my own family, I said, listen, these things get overblown. We've seen swine flu and bird flu and various other things. It's not going to be that bad. It'll blow over and, and go away. And of course, I was spectacularly wrong. Uh, so I can't be sure that I'm not spectacularly wrong again in this case. I would hope that if they did, the pushback would be so large and so immediate and so uncompromising that it would be extremely short-lived. I think the political cost of trying to do it again would be extremely high, and they do a lot of polling. So hopefully their polling is telling them, don't do it, and therefore we won't see it. But I, I wish I could rule it out, but unfortunately I can't. But that brings me to your book, Good People Break Bad Laws. You believe civil disobedience is now our only way out if they were to dare to do it again. It is absolutely our best way. What we've seen throughout history is every other mechanism for trying to limit government failing. Bills of rights, separations of powers, different different structures of government, they're all designed to limit government power so that we can protect freedom in some fashion. Every single one of those methods has failed. The only thing that works in the long term to limit government is people reaching the limit of their obedience. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to civil disobedience. Now, it's got to be done the right way. You do it the, the wrong way with violence, with vandalism, uh, targeted attacks against 
least individuals, it will backfire spectacularly and you'll end up in a worse place than where you were to begin with. Civil disobedience is something that we need to be talking about, the history of it, the philosophy of it, the the, the legal underpinnings of it and the moral underpinnings on it, of it so that we can make good choices about when and how, because the how is so important to use civil disobedience as a weapon. But yes, I, I do think we're at the point now where we absolutely need to be ready and quick to engage in civil disobedience. See, Australia has never had the experience, I don't think, at any stage in its history where the laws that have been put into place, and many of them were just rules and regulations, but the laws having put in place were just bloody wrong. Hmm. It's not something we're used to. And uh, I, I think it was Helen Dale was the, the commentator who brought it to my attention, but I don't think it was her that originally said it. Uh, the, the, the problem with Australia is that our government has been, broadly speaking, remarkably competent and benign at the same time. And that's a combination that hasn't happened a lot throughout history. And so we've grown up in this, in this world where government can largely be trusted and government is largely competent and largely does the things that it sets out to do. We've been lulled into this sense of security. And this is why when, when the government does something stupid over in Europe, the French are on the streets in no time. The mm. Dutch are on the streets in no time. And, and that's because they've experienced incompetence like what we hadn't up until COVID. So we've got to learn that lesson. Yeah, very true. Just a couple of other things. The worst thing to happen to this country, as in Australia, is this evangelism over global boiling, which will absolutely scientifically achieve nothing except reduce our savings and destroy our living standards. When is someone mm -hmm. going to have the guts in leadership to tell us the truth? <laughs> Look, I've been tackling this topic for well over a decade now. And in fact, uh, it was 10 years ago, I interviewed uh, Joanne Nova, who's a regular contributor for us here at the Aussie Wire. And um, she, she's a science graduate and, yep. and a science communicator. And I interviewed her 10 years ago. And we were asking each other, it can't be long now. Like how much longer before this whole thing falls apart and we can just move on with our lives? Well, 10 years later, it's gotten worse than ever. So I, I'm, I'm not going to be bold and predict that, that the end is nigh for the global boiling movement. I think we're going to see at least a few more years of, of proper full-on hysteria. But what I will say is that in a sense, this COVID nonsense has given us a bit of a gift here because people have become cynical and distrustful of so-called experts. Yeah. And as a result of that, I think it's going to be easier. The pushback is going to find more friends and more momentum than what it would have if COVID had never happened. I think you might be right. Just on the Middle East, how does a nation mm. which suffered the barbarism that we saw on October the 7th, terrorism, mass mm. execution. How does it happen so quickly that that same national victim becomes an oppressor and becomes the hated? Look, it all becomes, it all, it all depends on the lens that you're looking through. Hamas have played their, their, their cards very, very cleverly here. And I, look, I've got some unanswered questions around the day of the attack and the timing of you know how long it took to respond and so forth. Yeah. There's unanswered questions around that. Yeah. But there's no question in my mind, Hamas launched a, a barbaric attack that was completely unnecessary and completely uncivilized and, and is acceptable to, or should be acceptable nowhere in the world. But they've been very, very clever about the way they've used human shields. And there's a problem that this is a quandary that this puts uh, Israel into. So th there's the expression you would have heard it in movies, if not elsewhere. We don't negotiate with terrorists. Well, why not? Well, because if you give them something for their terrorism, then you're incentivizing them to do it more. Yeah. The same principle applies to using civilians as human shields. If you reward that behavior by backing off or give, making that you know, improve their situation, then you're incentivizing them doing it further. But if you don't change your behavior, then now you're killing civilians and you're you're becoming you know the very thing that you're trying to destroy. So Hamas have played their cards very very well here. It's an impossible situation for Israel. Um, I don't envy anyone that's having to make those decisions on the ground over there right now. Okay, final question, but it's a double barrel question mm -hmm. for you. Will Biden run for the presidency mm -hmm. next year, and can Trump really win? If Biden runs, Trump will win. The only thing that could go wrong there is with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. having now run independent. And uh, as I heard you were discussing with the previous guest, uh, he's proven to be to be attracting a lot of younger people. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. No, sorry. Um, Donald Trump has been uh, has been attracting a lot of younger people. But those are the same people that uh, RFK Jr. is also attracting in quite large numbers. So it comes down to whether RFK Jr. is going to uh, hurt Biden's base more 
or, or Trump's base more. But in the case of Biden running, the voter turnout will be the issue. The, the lack of enthusiasm from Democrats to go and re-elect Biden will yeah. be fatal to their campaign. I can't see Biden winning. If they I can't see him up, running. Well, this is this is the thing. If they wise up and he's not going to they're not going to announce, hey, we're not nominating him. He's going to have to announce, guys, I'm I'm not going to run. That's how it has to happen. Yeah. Um, can they get him to do that? Well, in a way, they can get him to do anything they want because he's just running on autopilot and doing what he's told, and even that not very well. But but why haven't they already? If they if I mean the polling is already terrible. So I'm really quite mystified as to why why we're even at this stage and he hasn't already announced that he's stepping down. Yeah, I'm with you. I've got to leave it there. Topher Field, thank you so much for your time. Um, we hope to be able mm. to do this again. Um, I can encourage people to uh, listen to your podcast and also pick up the book, Good People Break Bad Laws, well titled. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good on you, mate. Thank you, Topher Field. Um, we'll try and get him on again. Um, we only had a short time there, but we'll have a good chat next time round, I'm sure. I've got to take a break, and then when we come back, Shane Healy, the former intelligence officer, formerly with the ADF, on today's release of suicide statistics, which will just shock you. It'll sadden you, and it'll shock you. And um, how do we change that? How do we change the lot for veterans of war? Back after a quick break on TNT Radio. The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to instant state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. My character, Shazam, knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. This is the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, the full report from the Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicides won't be released until June next year, but I'm sure the commissioners will be poring over the release today of suicide rates for serving and former members of the Australian Defence Force. According to the latest data from the Institute of Health and Welfare, Former male ADF members are at a 26% higher risk of suicide than the general population of Australia, that is male. While for females, former ADF members have suicided are 107% higher than the general population. In the most recent year that data was taken, 2021, we lost 56 former ADF members. And to explain this data and to give us his analysis on the latest unfolding in the Middle East, I've got anti-terrorism expert and former ADF intelligence officer Shane Healy joining us again. Between 2004 and 2008, Shane was a private military contractor in Iraq, training Iraqi Special Operations Police. Shane was a member of the ADF when he was then deployed to Afghanistan in 2010, 2011 and 2012, working as an intelligence officer. He's been sent to several real terror incidents as part of the tactical assault group and has suffered at times from post-traumatic stress disorder. So he knows this space well. Shane Healy, welcome back to TNT Radio. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you going? Very well. What do you make of these latest statistics? Uh, they're shocking, but not unsurprising. If you're in the space 
um, or you're a veteran, you would have definitely been touched by suicide, either personally or or know of someone that you serve with that's committed suicide. Um, unfortunately, I keep a bit of a list, and I'm at about fifteen uh, guys that I guys and girls that I serve uh. with that are committed suicide. Has this always been the case, or are we treating veterans worse than we ever have? I noticed that they're saying there's been no spike uh, since about the year 2000. That is awfully sad. Yeah, I think you've got to look at the evolution of the RSL and then DVA. So um, the suffering silence was a bit of a badge of honour. We didn't talk about war. Yeah. Uh, the current uh, veteran, because I guess through the current um, psychological aspects is, is talking a lot uh, more about war. Vietnam vets didn't talk about their experience. You know, my granddads who did World War II wouldn't even talk about it. Where we're being encouraged to open up a bit more and express how we feel and, and a bit more about our service. And because of social media and videos, YouTube, a lot of our service is out there for the public to see anyway. Like you would never have got the scrutiny that the Breton Report is getting in World War II or Vietnam because the, the videos and documents just weren't there. See, that's the difference. I think about my great uncle. He would care less about how the government treated him when he returned home from World War One in Europe. What is the difference now? You think, firstly, the scrutiny is coming from the internal hierarchy. That's the first thing that they would not have faced in World War One. Yeah, I think that there's, there's that. Also because of occupational work, workplace and safety now. So inside of defence and outside, if you identify that you've had mental health issues or some sort of uh, anxiety, depression, under occupation uh, health and safety, they've got to stop, get you off those dangerous jobs. So if, if you've had that or if you've left defence with mental health, you go for a job, that, that just currently, that, that rules you out of many occupations these days where previous iterations of veterans didn't have that kind of admin um, around them. Okay, what about your personal journey? You've faced your own post-tour of duty demons. How are you today? Does it ever leave you? And do you have to seek regular help? So it doesn't uh, ever leave you, but there's a lot more understanding of what post-traumatic stress is. Um, I didn't know that. And the, you don't know what you don't know. And it took um, some good friends and some experts around me to actually say, mate, you're struggling and, and you need help. Then it took me the uh, honesty to say, yes, I need help. And then to go and seek that. And I went in a hospital and it saved my life. You know, it really did. But it also gave me the tools then to grow and understand what it is. So while you don't get rid of it, there's a new thing now called post-traumatic growth, where you understand what your triggers are. You understand where you're, uh, you're hypervigilant. You understand that you're anxious. You understand kind of where you, your struggling is and you can prepare for it. So I know what my triggers are. I know when I'm going to have good days. I know when I'm going to have bad days. And I just have to adjust my life around it. To think that in 2021, though, that we lost a person, more than just one person per week to suicide, these are veterans, is just such a terrible waste of life, isn't it? Yeah, and they've got so much to offer. And the biggest thing is, and, and I kind of starting to unpack this, is society is a me-centric culture. So mm. everyone, it's in our in, in bone, ingrained in our DNA. We're a bit selfish, you know, and that's our survival instinct. When you join the military and go through recruit school in any military, you learn to become we-centric. You're there for the team. You're there for the collective mission. Now, when you go to recruit school, that's, you know, 90 days. Then your other training, so that can take you two years to you're a soldier, then you do a year overseas in, the, in war, then you come back. And for someone like me, I was discharged in two days. So you never come back to that um, state of um, uh, non-military non thinking. And, you know, my central nervous system and my hypervigilance was never allowed time to readjust to civilian life. And a lot of veterans struggle. And inside the military, you're either an asset or a liability. And yeah. so you take that thinking into society and you're like, I'm just hurting everyone around me. Life would be better for them if I wasn't around. Yeah, I get it. Let's go to Gaza. What's happening firstly on the ground? Is Israel suffering losses as well? This is some of the information I've been picking up on social media. Yeah, so uh, my last count is uh, officially about 60, unofficially around 100. 
Um, like we discussed a few weeks ago, urban warfare is very uh, ugly and messy. You need a lot of troops on the ground. Uh, the Hamas are starting to really use the terrain to their advantage. Um, and because, the, so yes, they are losing yeah, soldiers daily on the ground. Israel has copped a lot for what they said was under and inside of Al-Shifa Hospital. I thought they stretched the truth a bit in saying, oh, look what we found, a weapons cache. It wasn't much of a cache. Um, they said there was a you know labyrinth of tunnels under the hospital. There wasn't, although they have found an entry point and a tunnel route. So uh, they're not that wrong. Um, the PR war is being won by Hamas, isn't it? Oh, 100%. Uh, today, the uh, Amnesty International want to take the Israeli army to the International Court of uh, Criminal Court. So that's how bad it's going for Israel, that Amnesty International are now saying you're committing war crimes. And all, you, all through the media now is about the kids out of the um, Palestinian kids getting uh, evacuated out of the hospitals, the amount of Palestinian refugees stuck in those hospitals and that they're targeting schools and hospitals. So you can't uh, get around those facts uh, of what's happening on the ground in Gaza. But hang on a second. When you were in Iraq, when you were in Afghanistan, if you thought the enemy was harboured in a hospital or harboured in a, church, a mosque, um, you would in enter no, there. And... No, 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 no. Not a no, chance. Right. Nope. No. Even if we even, and I'll give you a great example, um, between Baghdad and uh, military base north called Taji, where the Australian army were both in those 607 and then uh, 15, 16, 17, so Task Force Taji was up there, the Australian Army. When yep. you drove there, you went past a mosque. You got shot at every time. If you returned fire, you would be in trouble. Right. Yeah. It was off no, limits, definitely off limits. It's in the Geneva Convention. And unfortunately, we have to stick, we still uh, followed that. No religious, no schools, no hospitals, no way. If anyone in the Australian Army had have entered or conducted operations inside a hospital or entered a mosque, uh, that they weren't invited, you're in all sorts of trouble. Which is why Israel is in uh, so much of a predicament with criticism coming from all corners. The problem is, of course, too, that no one kind of expected the 12,000 alleged Palestinians would be killed in the process, process of extracting Hamas. Yes, that, that would have been factored in into the battle damage assessments for sure. Yeah, but we didn't expect it, though, did we, Shane? Um well, if you recall, we discussed the problems of fighting that urban combat a couple of weeks ago, and we said the civilian population is is the issue. And that was when Israel had already started firing um, bombs out of planes into buildings. Now, they are providing some warning to civilians, but as we found it in Fallujah, it doesn't mean the civilians are going to leave. So they're always going to be, uh, I guess, easiest way to describe it, the X factor in any urban conflict, unfortunately. One quick one. I've only got a minute left. Is this yep. Israel's long-term plan to get rid of Palestinians from, say, the Gaza Strip, maybe even the West Bank, and take that territory for themselves? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, just for peace and security of the rest of Israel. But um, Hezbollah just fired on northern Israel uh, in the last 24 hours again. So as we discussed last time, that's ramping up. So, um, but yes, uh, and to short, the Israelis would like to push the Palestinians out of Gaza. Shane Healy, great insight as usual. We'll catch up again. Thank you very much, sir. Anytime, Chris. Good on you. Shane Healy, an um, intelligence officer with the ADF, a, a man who understands what's going on with this urban warfare in Gaza, but also some of those suicide statistics that were released today. Same old, no spike, but to think that they are, you are 26% more likely to commit suicide as a former ADF officer than the general population is.